Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10, we have an altar. Paul likes to tell us what we have as the people of God, what we possess. He's doing this all the time in his writings. He says, for example, we have peace with God. What a blessed thing that is. And then he also says we have redemption through his blood. And he's particularly keen in this epistle to the Hebrews to set forth the things that we possess. We have a great high priest, he says on a couple of occasions. He says we have a strong consolation. We have great comfort. He says we have an anchor for the soul. But here this morning, I want to remind you of your provision that you have in Jesus Christ. Because Paul is referring to that when he says, we have an altar. An altar, mind you. You're maybe asking, where is that? You look around you in the meeting place this morning, you don't see an altar. We're at church together here today and we do not see any altar. We don't have a physical altar. It can't be seen with the human eye. The altar we possess is seen by faith, like so many things in the epistle to the Hebrews. But nevertheless, it is real. It is present, though not visible. What is our altar then? Well, our altar is a person. Our altar is a divine person. The person of the Son of God crucified for us. That's our altar. This is what Paul means. He says there in verse 13, Let us therefore go forth unto him. This altar without the camp. We have to go forth unto him. He is this altar. It is therefore a metaphor for our Saviour and a picture of all that we possess in him and what we have right to through him who is our altar. Now to appreciate what Paul is teaching here you have to know the context of his saying this. And there are two things that we have to keep in mind in relation to the context. First of all, the, the larger backdrop of the altar in the tabernacle. And then secondly, the context of what he has said before in the previous verses, verses 8 to 9. The larger backdrop, first of all, in the altar in the Old Testament you know that the Old Testament worship had two altars. There was the brazen altar outside the holy place itself in the court, made of brass. It was large. The priests could walk up to it. There were big four horns at the corners. They could go up to it. They could separate the beasts and their body parts and burn parts or burn the whole. A massive grate, fire coming up and burning the offerings, the brazen altar. But then inside there was a much smaller altar 
the fire of which came from the altar outside, an incense altar just before the Ark of the Covenant, before the face of the veil, and the incense going up before God as it was added onto the coals of fire. And so there was the altar of incense. The brazen altar speaks of sacrifice. The incense altar speaks of prayer ascending on the basis of sacrifice. Both of them are linked. Both of them are connected. Both of them picture Christ. And both of them are important. We read Psalm 84, and we read there that the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars. It's plural. Both of them, which is an amazing thing, considering one of them was in the holy place. But they picture the people of God as the birds who have height and ascension in Jesus Christ, who have liberty and freedom, and they choose to make their home at the altars. Their home in Christ. They abide with Christ. They dwell with Christ. All that he is, is their home and they inhabit that. And so we're speaking of something that is very dear to us as the people of God. Nine altars. And one speaks of the sacrifice of Christ, the brazen altar. The other speaks of the intercession of Christ for us, the incense altar. As our great high priest, he is identified with both in the mind of Paul, mainly this morning, is the brazen altar outside. The altar of sacrifice. The burnt offerings were offered upon that either partially or wholly. The Holocaust, the whole burnt offering, but some of the offerings were just partially burnt and the meat of it went to the priests to eat. Whenever it wasn't wholly burnt, they took the meat. They had a right to the meat. They could eat the meat. They could have the provision of the food. That was their sustenance. That's how they preserved their life. And they had to live thereof. And they had the meat, the sustenance of the altar for their food. And that's the material altar in the tabernacle. But that's not our altar. As Christians, our hearts cannot be established with meats, Paul has said, at that altar. Judaism is not satisfying to us. Judaism does not feed us. Judaism does not sustain our spiritual life. We Christians have another altar, different but pictured and portrayed by the tabernacle altar. So that's the context, the backdrop, the altar of the tabernacle. But then the immediate context, and I've already hinted at that, verses 8 following, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be carried about with divers and strange doctrines. It's good for the heart to be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them which are occupied therein. We have an altar. And so he's contrasting with the meats of the Old Testament altar. And we're not taking up with meats now. Our meat is different. 
Now, the word meat in the New Testament isn't necessarily just, you know, the meat of animals. It is food. It can be applied to bread as well, meat or food. And it's opposed to liquid, the milk, milk and meat. And so you have both these. You have the liquid part of our diet, the milk, the water, and you have the solid part of our diet, the meat, the food, the bread, whatever. A child gets the milk, not the meat, not the solid food. Sometimes the word is used in the singular, meat and drink. But here it is used in the plural, not with meats. And he's already used this word in chapter 9, verse 10, when he's talking about the Old Testament ritual, the Old Testament tabernacle, and the work of the priests. It stood only in meats and drinks. That's all. It was material. It didn't deal with the reality. It didn't deal with the substance. It was just meats and drinks. It was just washings and ordinances that was imposed on the Jews until a time came, which Paul calls a time of reformation. The meats and drinks are imposed until the reformation. They're not the provision. They're not the spiritual provision for the soul. They don't do the soul any good. They're just imposed upon the people until the reality is brought in in the Reformation, and that's the incarnation and appearing of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about Judaism, about the Old Testament tabernacle, the Old Covenant. He's talking about that being temporary and consisting just in meats and drinks. But we have Christ now as our altar. We have it all there in him. First of all, it means, when we say Christ is our altar, what Paul is saying is, we have the fulfillment of the old. We have the fulfillment of what that material altar in the tabernacle represented. We have the reality. That's just a shadow, that's just a picture, that's just a blueprint kind of thing. We have the reality. We have the actual fact. We have the truth. The substance. Jesus says, I am the truth, the true vine. I'm the true bread. Not the shadow bread, the manna. Not the shadow vine. I am the true altar. He's the fulfillment. He's the completion of all that the material altar pictured. He's the end of the law, the apostle said. And that includes all the things of the law, including the tabernacle and everything in the tabernacle. He's the end of the altar of incense. He's the end of the altar of sacrifice. He's the end of the table of showbread. He's the end of the light, the candlestick in the house of God. He's the end of all of that. That ends. And he's the teleos. He's the completion. He's the final He's it. And this is what Paul is, is telling us. So that tabernacle altar, that tabernacle service was temporary and burdensome and imposed until he came. And he has come. And all this going back to Judaism, the tabernacle worship, 
All the Old Testament altar and ritual business is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is our all. Now look at verse 10. We have an altar whereof they who have no right to eat would serve the tabernacle. You see, there are people still eating, as it were, in Paul's day, at the altar, the material altar. But whenever Christ comes, you can't do both. One or the other. And these convert Hebrews, whoever they are, some think they're converted Jews. I have my doubts about that. I think there were Gentiles largely who are converted. But whatever, they're not to be tempted back to Judaism. They're not to find Judaism attractive and appealing. And we could go back to that. And if we go back to that, we wouldn't have to be persecuted because Judaism isn't accepted as a religion in the Roman state. And they're not persecuted for their religion, whereas Christians are beginning to be persecuted for their religion. And so they're beginning to think, we can identify with Judaism. We can identify with the altar, with the incense, and all of this and that. And it might stop the persecution. And the apostle is saying, look, we have Christ. We have to stand with Christ. And we can't go back to that. And those who serve that altar, they eat at that altar. It's one or the other. It can't be both. They can't eat at our altar because they're eating at that altar. They're eating at the shadows. They're still rejecting Christ and trusting in that. But we've gone forth to Christ. And that's behind our back. And we are at, at him now. He's our altar. This is what Paul is saying here. So there are the Old Testament priests and they're still there. Now they're not today because the temple's been destroyed and they have to get the temple back to get this altar again and they're planning to do that. That's what they want to do. Judaism wants to do that. To restore this. And there are even some Christians who are giving the money to do that. It's contrary to the Bible. That's behind us. Christ, we have Christ. He's our altar. So our occupation is not with Judaism or with the temple, not even with Jerusalem. We are New Testament priests now, the universal priesthood of all believers at this altar, Jesus Christ. So we're taken up with him. So he's the end of the old altar, the completion. And it means also that he is the sacrifice for our sins. Because the sacrifice on the altar is inseparable. He is the true sacrifice, the one for all sacrifice. And he was offered outside Jerusalem, wasn't he? Outside the gate. Paul makes a big thing of that. The bodies of those beasts who were brought forth into the, the blood into the sanctuary, they're burned outside the camp. Jesus also, that he may purify us, and he may wash us with his blood, he suffered outside the camp. His blood was shed outside the camp, outside Jerusalem, outside the very gate. In fact, he could see the gate. And the road went by, he could actually see it, and he could see the temple on the other side of the wall. He was outside it all. He was outside Judaism, he was outside Jerusalem, he was outside the city. It was behind him and he was bearing that reproach. And that's where we have to go. I'd say the same reproach. 
So he not only ends brazen altar worship, he is the fulfillment and the completion. And he's our sacrifice being offered on the cross outside the gate. So the altar is identified with his sacrifice, with his death, with his bloodshedding, being made a holocaust, being made a whole burnt offering unto God. He's our sacrifice. And all the sacrifices were offered on the altar in the tabernacle. But there was a special day every year, which commenced every year, the new year, in which there was a day of atonement. A special day of atonement. And that was the day when the blood went into the holy place and was sprinkled beyond the veil as never been done before. This special day when that took place and the altar wasn't used, the brazen altar in the court wasn't used. The bullock, the blood came from the bullock and the blood came from the goat. And those animals were taken outside, away from the altar, the material altar. And they were taken outside, outside the camp. And they had to be burned differently outside the camp. And Paul is referring to all of this. And he's saying, that's what really shows our sacrifice. That the Jewish altars are daily and perpetual and go on and on and on at the altar. But there's a day coming when everyone will come and outside and give the true sacrifice, the blood of which will go within, beyond this life, the power of it going into eternity. And the one who, who is the Holocaust on that day will be burned outside the camp. And that's our Christ. That's why he was crucified outside the camp. In fulfillment of prophecy. And Paul knows this. And he's telling us this. This day of atonement stood out. And it sets forth Christ in a unique and special way. And that day is different. Outside the camp. And that day the veil opened. Remember he died outside the camp. And did the veil open? And he went in on the power of his blood. Entered in, there it is, being fulfilled on that day. And the apostle is referring to this. And the high priest passed within the veil. And so there is this contrast. He's our sacrifice. He's our altar. Now in the old altar, and in the old sacrifice, the high priest at the altar and offering the sacrifices, there were three entities. The high priest, the sacrifice, the altar. Inseparable entities. In Christ, all three come together in one person. All are fulfilled in his one person. He is altar. He is sacrificed on the altar. And he is high priest offering sacrifice on the altar. It all comes together in him, him alone. Our great high priest, our sacrifice, our altar. He is high priest. God and man. Offering. Offering himself. And what's he offering? As high priest, he's offering his humanity. His body and blood, his human nature, his manhood, he's offering himself the sacrifice of his body and blood 
What altar can hold that? What altar can resist the fire that consumes that and burns all that up? What mere man could dare offer up his humanity and hope to survive and come out of it alive and living and raised? What altar burns his humanity up? And it is the altar of his godhood It is the altar of his deity because he's the son of God made flesh and he offers up himself and his deity upholds his humanity as a great high priest offering himself unto God holy. He is that. And there's no one else. This is what Paul means. We have a high priest. We have a better sacrifice. We have an altar. And they're all coming together in the person of the Son of God incarnate. And that's better than the old. And those who still want to eat at that altar, they're turning their back on Jesus Christ. So, brethren and sisters, you understand that Christ is all to us. And he is more than sufficient to be all to us because he's the son of God who gave himself an offering for us on the cross and we go unto him let us therefore go unto him him alone and you see that that Old Testament altar was as I said temporary it only stood for a time and it was gone disappeared and the Lord sent the armies of Rome took it away and it has disappeared took away the daily sacrifice Messiah who took all that away and his sacrifice and his offering and it's gone and the Lord has no intention of causing its reappearance it was temporary it's past our altar abides forever he has entered into the glory eternal priest eternal sacrifice once for all forever He cannot be overthrown. You see, that's what always happened. These are altars on earth. They were overthrown. Remember the the Lord said to the Jews, overthrow their altars. The heathen altars. And that's the same with the brazen altar. It's been overthrown in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Our altar stands eternal. Like Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever, unchangeable. The power of an endless life. Risen from the dead on the power of his atoning blood. An altar that cannot be overthrown. And this Old Testament altar could only be in one place. It had to be in Jerusalem. It had to be in the temple. But our altar is in every place. Yes, every place. He is our way to God wherever we are, wherever we meet, wherever we come together to pray. We come through Christ because our altar is everywhere with us. Now the Lord's table is not an altar. Christ is the altar. But at the table, we do eat his body and blood. 
We have communion with the body and blood of Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper by faith, not in a physical material way, but we are having communion with the body and blood of Christ in a spiritual manner, by faith. We partake of Christ. And that's what verse 10 He's our altar, whereof they have no right to eat, which serves the tabernacle, but we have right to eat. We believe in Christ. We feed on Christ. He says, except you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And so we feed on him. We trust in his sacrifice. We depend on it. It's our life. It's our sustenance. It brings us into eternity. It brings us into the life that knows no end in the new heavens and the new earth. This altar, this sacrifice, this high priestly work. We are in the new. And we have a whole Christ to eat and consume. You see, in the old, they couldn't drink the blood. They could only eat the meat. The blood was shed and offered in. But you see, in the new... We eat the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The whole Christ, the whole sacrifice, he's wholly given for us. He's all ours. All his offered humanity is ours. He's died in our stead and offered himself as body and blood. So it's not after a carnal manner that we eat. A spiritual manner. But it's nonetheless real in our union to him. So he's our life. And by him we live. And this altar in the tabernacle needed to be sanctified, it needed to be cleansed, it needed to be purged at times. But not our Christ. He, he never needed to be purged. He never needed to be cleansed. He's the altar that truly cleanses. I mean, the altar that you have to sanctify and cleanse isn't really going to cleanse you. But our Christ is a sinless, spotless altar who gives us true cleansing, true sanctification through his blood. And he's the altar that brings us to God. You see, it was there on the way into the holy place. You had to come by the altar, by the sacrifice, to give the priest access and Christ, he gives us access to God. He allows us to come into the presence of God, to go right in. And he sanctifies our services. And he sanctifies our worship. And he makes all that we bring to be acceptable. Isn't this what Paul goes on to say here? By him, verse 15, this altar, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the giving of thanks to his names to do good and to communicate, don't forget, because those are sacrifices that God is well pleased with. Everything you do, every good you do, every cup of cold water you give, all your prayers, all your intercessions, everything you pray about for the Lord, you're doing it in his name, you're doing it through him, you're doing it at this altar, and those are sacrifices that are being acceptable because he's our altar. And we do everything feebly and we sometimes do it very sinfully and it's all stained. But at him our altar, they find acceptance with God as true spiritual sacrifices. We have it all in him. 
He makes us all his priests to not only feed on him, but also to offer by him these spiritual sacrifices, our prayers, our thanksgivings, our intercessions, our almsgiving, and our labors of love. They're not our works that save us. They are our service of sacrifice that we bring in our love and devotion through Jesus Christ. Let us, therefore, Paul says, one thing only. One duty, one essential, together as the people of God and individually as a private believer in Jesus Christ, let us go forth, therefore, unto him. Him, Christ. Him alone. Towards him. Let us move towards him, always towards Christ. We're pilgrims going forth. We're pilgrims traveling. And we're always going forth. And who are we going forth to? Who are we traveling towards every day? Christ. Christ crucified. Christ our Redeemer. Let us go forth unto him. Daily. Continually. Never lose out in your communion with Jesus Christ. You have an altar. You can eat at it. Go therefore unto him. Make your journey towards him. Him alone, mind you. Join the church and together in this journey. What is our journey? Our journey is going on to him. That's what church is about every Sunday. Going on to him. Our Christ. Our Savior. And there, there's no getting away from that. That's what the body does. That's what the church does. It goes on to him. And that's what Israel, if it is to be saved, is going to have to do. Go on to him. Go on to him. You know, there's, there's no new plan for Israel. There, there's nothing else. You know, some people say the church is going to be raptured away. And Israel, God's going to have a new plan for Israel. A new way of dealing with Israel. Back to the old again. And the temple worship will come back. And he'll deal with Israel in a new manner. That is nonsense. If Israel is to be saved, they're going to have to join us. They're going to have to join the church. They're going to have to be grafted back in. And they're going to have to follow us, going forth onto Jesus Christ. And they're going to have to have Judaism behind their back. As we have it behind our back. Without the camp, we're going forth onto him, and Judaism is behind our back, and ritual is behind our back, and material altars are behind our back, all behind our back, going forth onto him. And we want Israel to join us. And we pray that the Jew will join us, and that the Jew will become our brothers and sisters and make the same pilgrimage with Judaism behind their back. And all the reproach of that. And going forth unto him. That's the journey Israel has to make. That's the only journey that saves. That's the only journey that brings us to God. That's the way of the Christian church.
the camp is Judaism. Christless religion. Whatever else it is, it's Christless. Christ is the true, the real, the fulfilment. And we go out to him. Even Jerusalem is behind our back. And Paul goes on to say that, in fact. What does he say there? Let's go forth unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city. We're even going outside Jerusalem. We're even putting Jerusalem behind our back. We're not expecting anything in Jerusalem. It's always behind our back. Our city is not here. Our city is Zion. Where Christ is at the right hand of God. And we're going forth unto him. And you see the city in Jerusalem. It's all the same as all the other cities in the world. Our city is the heavenly ground. Where Christ is. And every earthly city is behind our back. Even Jerusalem. But we don't have a continuing city here. No. Whether it lasts a hundred years or a thousand years. We have no continuing city here. We seek one to come. And it's that one that will come down. In the consummation. With all the glory of God. That we read about in Revelation. And it will fill the whole new cosmos. And there we will abide forever and ever with our Christ. That's the city we seek. We're just pilgrims and travellers through here. No continuing city. Seeking one to come. We're so blessed, brethren and sisters. You have all in Jesus Christ. Everything. If he's your altar... All the provision for time and eternity you have in him. He is all in all to us. You are complete in him. In him. So maintain your trust in him. Your fellowship with him. Your communion with him. Keep looking to him. Keep considering him. Keep praying to him. And keep feeding upon him who is your life.